Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, because the silent assassin Matt Costa is out. He'll, I think he's going to be out for a few weeks. That's what he said. So it's going to just be you and I. He's got uh, some things to do, which we may or may not talk about on the show. Hey, he deserves a vacation. Absolutely. He's the one that's here every week when we're out you know, gallivanting around with legend trips. He's the one who comes and makes sure that the show runs smoothly and makes sure that... Uh, you know, there's still a program on the air, and we commend him for that. So enjoy your well-deserved vacation, Macos. It's not a paid vacation. I wish it was. I wish it could be. But uh, I'm sure that you will have a good time away from the spooky studio for a while. But we'll still be here. We'll be bringing you the best in paranormal talk each and every Saturday night at this time or around this time. A little bit of a late start tonight due to some tech stuff going on here in the studio because we were we want to make sure that we have the optimum multimedia experience for you. We have Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. So if you go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, you can just click on the link for Spooky TV and watch what's going on in the studio and jump into the chat room as well. And over the last few weeks, I've turned over the director's chair of Spooky TV to my co-host Matt Moniz, and I've put him into the chat room. Now, the problem with that is, is I can't monitor what's going on in the chat room anymore. Uh, so you're able to do that. So you're the one who can kind of bring up any questions. But in order to you know, make sure that we don't miss anything, I kind of wanted to have chat room over here too so we would have the ability to kind of talk off the air. Because I use that a lot to talk to our content director, yeah. Chris Balzano, without having to say anything over the air to him. So you know, I was trying to get that going over here. It's just not happening. So we'll work on that. We'll get it going. You know, because my phone can actually, I, I, this is what I realized, my phone can actually be a wireless hotspot and can actually power the wireless on this little netbook that I have over here. Well, you got to f- configure both of them first. Well, I have to pay for the service is the problem. It's like oh. 15 bucks a month. Ah. So uh, make your donation to Spooky South Coast <laughs> by going, just go to PayPal and donate to Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. That's the way to do it. But uh, we're going to have a great show tonight. Uh, our content director, Chris Balzano, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, he's going to join us uh, throughout the course of the evening tonight. It's kind of like an overall total Balzano breakdown for the entire show. We haven't had a Balzano breakdown in a while, but uh, now's our chance to do it because we're bringing in our content director, Christopher Balzano. Chris, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you for allowing me to, to break down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you find that as we're getting older, it's just easier to break down. But you know, I, 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 I'm actually working with a sore neck. Was at the, the Sox game. At by, uh, I spent pretty much, you know, four consecutive hours with children on my shoulders. So I got a little uh, crick in my neck. So how's I the new like park? breaking down as we speak. How's the new park? Is it cool? Amazing. Amazing. And it's, um, it's, it's uh, uh, completely enjoyable. And everyone was so ridiculously nice. I felt like you can't call this Fenway South and be this nice. You have to be a little rude and overcharge me for more things. 
Do you have any seats that face the wrong way? <laughs> no, but I was in the lawn, and there's probably um, a 20-foot-long, 10-foot-high boundary or barrier, where I guess is where the, the uh, bullpen bathrooms are, mm-hmm. that you basically cut off like half the lawn. So, yeah. so, so it's, 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 it's an ill-conceived thing, but... There's this little bit of dip I found, and so I was able to like you know have conversations with Jacob Bellsbury, which was pretty cool. So, yeah, and and did he say that he plans on playing an entire season this year? Um, he said that um, he was going to play and dedicated to me. There you so, go. Nice. It, the conversations were more like Ellsbury, you rock, and him waving. It wasn't really like you know, in depth. Well, I think he should uh, he should probably buy your new book. Picture yourself playing in for the entire season. Yeah, or you know, or uh, you know. Curses and, and, and how to avoid them, which yeah. is a book yet to be written, but first chapter will be Jacoby Ellsbury. So. There might be a Jacoby Ellsbury chapter coming up in the new Dan Gordon, uh, Mickey Bradley haunted <laughs> baseball book. Who knows? There so. is, because, you know, there's, there's something about those, that sleeve that, while my wife finds it extremely sexy, I'm kind of skeptical. <laughs> Well, we are, we're going to be talking about a variety of topics tonight, uh, including some controversial stuff that's been happening uh, you know, with, with Ghost Hunters International, it's always kind of looked at as the the little brother to Ghost Hunters. It's it's kind of like the Providence to Ghost Hunters Boston, if that makes sense, or the Boston to Ghost Hunters New York, depending on your point of view and your perspective. But uh, it, it definitely raised some controversy this week, Ghost Hunters International, with the bloodletting that went on during the episode. We'll get into all that a little bit later on. But I also want to talk, too, about this reality-wanted website. And uh, I extended invitations to our friend Tim Dennis from Darkness Radio, who actually, as far as I know, won the realitywanted.com contest to see who would be the new cast member of Ghost Hunters. And a good friend of ours, Jeanette, was also uh, in the running. I believe she was uh, the top in the top four. So I, I extended both invitations to both of them to join us. Tim has a, a darkness thing going on tonight with James Van Prague, so he's not sure that he's going to be able to join us, but he's going to try and make every effort to do so. And uh, But we'll talk a little bit about that later on because uh, I'm a little skeptical about uh, just how much of a chance you have of getting on a television show like Ghost Hunters, or particularly Ghost Hunters specifically, uh, from a website called realitywanted.com. But we'll, we'll get into all that a little bit later on. But I think, you know, before we do that, it might be a good idea if we get a little weird. And, uh, Chris, I was wondering if you want to get a little bit weird with us. I am, I am on the weird bandwagon. All right, well, let's try it then. Hold on. I promise I can make this work. Matt Costa, where are you? <laughs> I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs> the Week in Weird. All right, this isn't particularly weird, but rule number one for running a radio show and trying to use your iPod for for uh, different segments and different cuts, make sure you turn the volume up all the way on the iPod. <laughs> That's the trick. All right, well, let's take a look at some of these stories from the week in weird. And what a weird week it was. 
Uh, starting off with when Jack Frozy 32 died of a heart arrhythmia in 2011, he left behind a number of grieving friends and family members. But the BBC reports that several mysterious posthumous emails from his account have brought some happiness and closure to those who were closest to him. Last November, five months after his death, his childhood best friend Tim Art received an email from his account. Uh, and then, I guess later on, other members, his cousin Jimmy McGraw, also received a posthumous email from Froze warning him about an ankle injury that occurred after his cousin's death. So, uh, you know, this is something that we hear a lot about with phone calls. Uh, we, we hear about these phone calls that happened from loved ones from the other side. Now, these, of course, were emails, and that makes it a little bit more of a, of a strange problem because uh, it's, just, it's just things that are getting hung up in the Internet. You know, it's just like things that were kind of undeliverable at the time and got caught up. And I have it happen all the time, you know, as a, as a writer, especially working on Deadline. There's numerous times when I've tried to contact somebody in time for a story and it doesn't get to them in time. And then by the time they receive the email, it's already been printed in the paper. So, But uh, Chris, I know that you get a lot of reports from people. Uh, and I know that we've talked about the phone calls in the past, but his posthumous emails and posthumous Facebook messages and things like that been something that's been popping up over the last few years? I think um, I've heard a lot of, um, of uh, friend requests from the dead. Yep. That have come through, especially people who are not like active, like on Facebook all the time. Like someone dies, and then you know their their friend request and the stuff that they put out there is still out there. And sometimes it takes a little glitch in the system. I know my wife actually had a person who friend requested her, and the day before she got the friend request, she found out she was dead. She had just died. Um, it was you know a friend from high school, and then so there's a lot of that kind of thing, and then you know to the. To the, to the phone one, I guess we have to, you know, kind of put that in there too, because I mean, you and I had text issues today, mm-hmm. um, and there's there's dropped call issues and things like that. Sometimes someone says to me, "Hey, did you call me?" I'm like, "Yeah, like two days ago." Well, I just got the missed call today, um, and so that kind of thing is still, you know, happens and it's still happening. You know, although the the phone call from the dead has previously really been um, almost a the, the you know place of lore. Um, and there's, there was actually, probably about three years ago now, where there was actually a telephone um, call made that they were able to track and see that it, it was made on a cell phone that actually did happen when it happened, and it was from someone who had died in a, um, in a plane, and, and I'm sorry, in, a, in a, a train accident. And that call had actually gotten through, and it was hours after the person would have died. So, you know, it, it's just, so with the technology we have, we think it's perfect. We think we live in this moment of, of this world where everything happens just in the moment. But, it, you know, there are those little glitches, and those glitches seem to kind of, you know, often happen in a way that actually helps people. Mm-hmm. And so you wonder whether there's something actually stopping it or whether it is just, you know, technology run amok. Something like that happened to me. Um, the day my mother died, I received a phone call, and it came out just as a, a weird unknown and uh, voice basically I would swear was my mother saying I'm alright Matt and then the phone call ended the person that was standing on my deck with me watched all the blood drain out of my face it's very I mean easy. and was that uplifting for you or was that more of sadness I, I would definitely say it was more uplifting because of yeah. uh, the, the quickness that it had happened well, and that's what's interesting about these emails, and I, I kind of waited a little bit to get into some of the context of the emails, uh, but 
with the the first person who received it, his childhood best friend, uh, it said that it was from this guy Jack Frozy, and it said uh, the the subject heading was "I'm watching," and while the t- and the text of the message said, "Did you hear me? I'm at your house. Clean your expletive deleted attic." And Hart said that shortly before Frozy's death, uh, the two had had a private conversation in Hart's attic, during which Frozy teamed him uh, teased him over the attic's messy state. It was just him and I up there. That's it. And then the cousin Jimmy McGraw, as I mentioned, he had, you know, w- was being warned about an ankle injury that had happened after Jimmy Frozy had died. I'm sorry, uh, after uh, Jack Frozy had died. So these are actually communications that are about topics that happened after he had passed away or that he would have only been the other person that had knowledge of. So it can't be a prankster. Mm. Uh, and the fact that it says, you know, I'm watching kind of lends to that idea of, you know, here I am, I'm still here with you. The weirdest report I got was from a woman who had called me up. She was in hysterics when she called me up. And she's what I, she's what I call one of those, um, the kind of person who calls and then regrets having called you and will not talk to you ever again. Um, but she had called me to say that her brother had died in a car accident. And after the brother had passed, after the funeral, after everything, um, she went and there was a voice message on her answer machine. It was one of the you know, old school, you know, hit the button kind of ones that said, you know, hey, Linda, or whatever her name was, just wanted to tell you that Dylan, who is his like, one-year-old nephew, Dylan's present is in the closet underneath all my stuff. And the message itself was dated before the um, before he had passed, but she had gone by that answering machine, you know, countless times in between, you know, the, the two weeks that this whole thing had happened. And yet, there was now on there where it hadn't been on there before. She listened to it, tried to listen to it again, couldn't, and they found the present exactly what he was where he said it was. And so, you know, it's one of those things, once again, like, is it this technology bad? Like, did she erase it? Because, you know, those things are so very confusing. Had she just never noticed it? Was it, had she listened to it and ignored it and it was hidden behind another message? Uh, So when she checked another message, that one came out. You know, it's really one of those things that you have to kind of, I guess it's to the person who experiences it, what they feel from it. Which I guess is something you can say about a lot of the paranormal. Sure. Well... I, I don't know. I think that uh, you know, anytime you can get a, a message from a loved one, it, it helps. And if that's if that's what people want to take away from it, then that's fine with me too. All right, moving forward, uh, I, I want to skip the Lizzie Borden stuff for this week because uh, it's it's very interesting. These new journals that were given to the Fall River Historical Society this week from uh, Andrew Jackson Jennings, Lizzie Borden's attorney, uh, they were given to the Fall River Historical Society by Jennings' grandson who died last year. Uh, they'd actually been kept private for all these years, uh, mainly because uh, the family members didn't really want you know to, to share this stuff. Uh, with the public, but now that the Fall River Historical Society has it, they're sharing the the information in these documents because a lot of it coincides with what's in the new book, Parallel Lives, written by curator Michael Martins and fellow curator Dennis A. Bennett, which is a, a, a monumental tome. It is just huge, and it uh, it really documents Lizzie Borden, the person, not the legend, not the criminal that she's been accused of being but who she was as a person both before and after the murders and so uh, i actually contacted mike martins and asked him if he would come on with us tonight uh, he's a little held up tonight he has a, a dinner party going on he said but he's going to join us on the 31st of march so he will come on uh to talk about uh parallel lives and to talk about these journals as well so uh, it should be cool maybe we can even get him to bring him in 
Hmm. That'd be kind of cool just to just to see them, but I don't know. I don't want to overstep my bounds. So we'll we'll uh, we'll save the Lizzie Borden talk uh, for that night. Chris, here's a story that comes from your neck of the woods, and this falls under the headline of "Only Florida," uh, <laughs> which actually a lot. Right. Of, I was going to say a lot yeah, of stuff falls under. You're going to say so. <laughs> All right. Well, Fred uh, Fred Wintert, 89, from Orlando. It's been a quarter century. Uh, marking making the 21st seven foot long. All right, hold on. Let me start over here. Again, only in Florida would it be written this way as well. Anyway, this guy Fred Gwentert, he's 89. He's from Orlando. He started making a, an Egyptian pharaoh's sarcophagus for himself. He crafted the casket by teaching himself expert carpentry skills from scratch and studying ancient Egyptian designs through secondhand textbooks painted in the royal colors of the ancient pharaohs. He plans to be placed into this macabre labor of love when his number's up. It's been a great hobby that I've almost finished, he said. I do have one last wish before I'm placed into the box that everyone makes sure I'm dead before they close it. So uh, he said his lifelong fascination with ancient Egypt stems from being born in 1922, the year Howard Carter discovered King Tut's tomb. Uh, the retired Florida postal worker says he had the full support of his wife in his unique endeavor. So, again, only Florida, Chris, would a man spend uh, all that time, all those years of his life, dedicated to making himself an Egyptian sarcophagus. Well, you know, they have all those um, new shows now about, you know, the, what happens when the apocalypse comes, and, and you know, they have the, uh, the, the, the hoarders and the, um, and the now bunkers show. Uh, where they, you know, talk about what people are going to do when, you know, when the, when the apocalypse comes and how they're going to the downfall of this and, you know, society run amok, what they're going to do. And they've been, you know, keeping a bottle of water every day. And so why not do it for the afterlife? Why don't we have afterlife hoarders, people who are going to guarantee that in the afterlife they get what they need to get? And what better way than a sarcophagus? Exactly. Tonight on TLC, it's afterlife hoarders. You can take it with you. <laughs> Hosted by Chris Balzato. I don't do I don't do my my lame announcer voice enough on this program. I'm going to start doing that more Especially often. Especially saying my name in your lame announcer. Christopher Balzato. I'll make sure I pronounce it wrong. Like uh, like Doug Llewellyn at the beginning of the uh, In Bloom video, ladies and gentlemen, Nirvana. All right, uh, here by the city of the bay. It's I, I I always used to do that when somebody would ask me like Do you have a radio voice I'd be like It's ninety seven degrees here in beautiful downtown Los Angeles and they'd be like You really do that on the air I said Well no because they'd probably take me off the air and we don't live in Los Angeles Well that's true too But uh, our last story for the week and weird for this week is this one is really a little disturbing it's, it's it, we make a lot of jokes here during the week and weird segment that's kind of the idea you know to have a little fun with some of these stories but uh, this this is pretty serious stuff two schoolgirls committed suicide in an attempt to travel through time possibly inspired by popular tv shows according to state-owned newspaper china daily the case brings the issue of time travel centered television shows back into the spotlight in china which recently implemented a ban on these types of shows during the primetime hours between 7 and 9 p.m according to the paper China Daily reported that the girls, both fifth graders, drowned themselves in a pool and left behind a suicide note that suggests that they were hoping to become time travelers after death. One of the girls allegedly wrote that she had dreams of traveling back to the Qing Dynasty, Qing Dynasty, I'm not sure, and of visiting outer space. The other may have had another motive. She said she was worried about telling her parents that she had lost the remote control to their garage and their home. China Daily didn't name the TV series that may have influenced the girls to commit suicide, but notes that popular shows in the country often incorporate time travel into their storylines. The plot lines typically involve the death of a character who then goes on to travel to ancient times. 
According to an informal survey by the newspaper in Southeast China, 14 out of 16 elementary school students think time travel is possible, the Wall Street Journal reported. I can't even get 14 out of 16 people in this country to agree to watch a time travel movie. (laughs) The survey reportedly did not ask if students believe time travel is possible only after death. Uh, So... uh, just a, a bizarre story, first of all, that the the fact that time travel stories are so popular in China to begin with, that shocks me alone. But now we have these stories of, about school children committing deaths so that they can become time travelers. And this kind of leads into what I want to talk about tonight is that our – and this goes beyond just the paranormal, but we'll kind of keep a paranormal focus on it. How much of what people see on TV actually does influence them? to do these things in their lives well not necessarily just the bad things what about the good things that influences Uh, we'll take for example say star trek without that impetus where would we be now in terms of certain technologies like cell phones and other but that's uh, your ipad you're you're talking about something that's coming from a completely different side of the coin but but, what you're dealing with the television media it has its pros and cons to me there's a difference between inspiration like you know okay inspiration is inspiration whether it inspires you to invent something or inspires you to take your life it makes no difference it's still inspiring you to do something to the average rational person viewing this show uh, that that's and Chris, of course, feel free to jump in at any time. But to the average person watching a television program, they're watching it and they're saying, "Hmm, traveling through space, becoming an astronaut, inventing you know two way communication like this, to boldly go where no man goes gone before." These all sound like good ideas. And Star Trek is what gave me the idea to do this good idea. The common rational person says, "Killing myself to travel through time, hmm, bad idea. I don't think I will do what the TV show has done." Uh, one word for you, jackass. Remember that television show? Again, the people who do it though aren't th- the people who know. Okay, this is a bad idea. I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. Well, that's why they, they the have people, all these disclaimers on the front end. But the people who do think that it's a bad idea, and and uh, I'm sorry, the people who think that it's a good idea and decide to try to copy it are people that probably would have done something bad otherwise had it not been jackass that influenced them. There's something wrong in the wiring. And what's to say that these girls wouldn't have committed suicide because of something else later on? And that's that's my point, is yeah. we're, we're saying we're blaming it on this television show, and it's not really necessarily the television show's fault. I remember when 9-11 happened, and so many songs were banned on the radio because of certain content that were that, that was within the context of the song. One of my favorite songs of all time by the Gap Band, You Dropped a Bomb on Me. Cool song. You can't you could not hear it on the radio post nine eleven. It was banned from the radio. And so therefore I, I can't imagine there are people who are sitting at home, you know, thinking, gee, I, I really don't like the government and I really do want to take a stand. How can I take a stand? Hmm I know. Let me turn on Fun One O seven and see what's playing on the back of the day cafe. You dropped a bomb on me. Great idea. You know what I mean? It's it's there's Well, t- I, I think that I think that that's the, the song thing. I mean, there's so many points I don't know which one to bring up first. <laughs> but, I'll, <laughs> but I'll bring up the song band thing because it's it's as you know, perhaps the the greatest defender of, of the first amendment. Um uh, I I I disagreed with the action completely, but the motivation I think was not so much to stop bombers from inspiring people to bomb as much as it was to get people's minds off the fact they had been bombed and which is 
Okay. You know, ridiculous, but not nearly as ridiculous as the thing that they were inspiring them. So the songs, that, many of the songs that were banned had to do with um, with with uh, America in a negative light, or, um, you know, one of my favorite songs, Enema, was banned because it talks about how, you know, part of the United States is going to just get destroyed and we should just do it anyway so that we can restart. Um, so it was more of, like, ones that had that kind of content as opposed to, you know, we're trying to stop you from bombing. Sure. So, but I, I think that, <clears throat> and, and I want to get into this a heck of a lot more when we talk about, um, when we talk about the Ghost Hunters International thing, but I want to address the, the Chinese schoolgirls and the difference behind it. Um, so if you look at, like, the Heaven's Gate cult, for example, and you could say that those people committed suicide, um, they didn't commit suicide because they thought that they wanted to die. They committed suicide for a, however misguided reason, they thought that that was going to give them something. So these Chinese girls weren't like typical, you know, teenagers who were depressed, who were sad, and were like, we're going to take our lives. They genuinely thought this would cause a transformation in them. Now, does that mean that they're mentally unstable? Completely. Um, I'm pretty sure the article that I read didn't have their actual ages on it, but they were fairly young in what you would call the, the, the spectrum of potential suicides from teenagers. I don't even think they were teenagers. Um, fifth grade, so that would have put them somewhere around, what, 11? It does say fifth yeah. grade? Okay. So, I mean, we're talking about people who don't have the same kind of thought process as an adult. And so to be inundated... And this is not like one show in China that does this. This is a theme um, that runs through a lot of uh, manga, that runs through a lot of, of television shows there, uh, a lot of fantasy things there, uh, a, a cultural thing um, that happens there. You know, Cornelius Boggs didn't have to kill himself to travel through time. People can Google that name later if they forget. Oh, um, <laughs> fans of this show know. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say, I know you, at least one person listening does knows it. But, um, but these girls specifically thought their death would lead to this, and so you can't view it as a typical suicide. And, and, and a fifth grader, so someone who's 11, 12 years old, in a culture that we can't fully understand, I don't think we can fully realize or appreciate the impact that a show like that might have on them. Well, I, I want to throw out the phone numbers, 508-996-0500, If you want to call in at any point during the show, you can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com or jump in the chat room at SpookyTV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you need that information during the course of the program, it's right up there on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well. But you had mentioned, you know, you want to... Uh, we want to apply this to the to the Ghost Hunters International incident and what happened. So let me kind of give people a rundown if if they aren't sure what happened. I know some people, you know, in the field do not watch these shows on principle. Other people may have just missed it. It's in their DVR. They haven't watched it yet. But Ghost Hunters International, of course, is an offshoot of Ghost Hunters. This group goes around the world and explores the ghostly legends of various other countries and cultures. So in this particular episode, they were checking out some Mayan ruins in Belize, and uh, the client, Pedro, had told them that he had gone there and and conducted some bloodletting ceremonies to try to stir up the activity. And so Barry Fitzgerald, the lead investigator of of GHI, good friend of the show, he decided that maybe they should recreate that. And it led to some controversy on the team, Chris Williams, uh, decided that she didn't want any part of this, and, and she walked away, and Susan Slaughter volunteered to actually be the person to undergo this. 
the fact that there was some controversy about it on the show, some discussion amongst the team about whether or not it was a good idea, I thought was a balanced approach to doing it. Now, there's a lot of argument of whose idea was it really? Was it really the idea of Barry Fitzgerald as the lead investigator? Or was it some producer off camera that was saying, yeah, 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 that'll be good. That'll be good for ratings. You know, that, that's up for debate. I can say that in, in the conversations that I've had with Barry and what we know about Barry, he's pretty innovative in some of his investigative approaches. And he's always willing to try to think out of the box to try to get results and to try to get evidence. So there's the possibility that the idea did come from Barry. And there's also the possibility that this is a good way to get some controversy generated and to get some attention and exposure to GHI. So the real issue came, I guess, when the episode aired – Chris Williams took to Twitter and started defending her position, and uh, she actually uh, called the whole thing expletive deleted stupid. And uh, then that responded to that, that, that caused some responses to her on Twitter, uh, including one from a fan that said, I can't believe this. She is really stupid and begging for attention. This just makes me dislike her more. And then Chris Williams retweeted that out to her almost. Uh, 100,000 followers. She has about 96,000 followers. So the fact that it's not just the idea that it happened on the show, but it caused this rift in the team, and and now they're still publicly railing against each other, that's what's generated a lot of the the public-face controversy of this. The real issue here is that Chris coming out against the bloodletting, Jason Hawes, who tweeted his support of Chris's opinion and said that it's just, you know, it's, it's not a good idea to, to do this uh, because he's worried about kids trying what they see at home. And a lot of the critics are worried about this because of the whole phenomena going on with teenagers these days of cutting, uh, where they're intentionally hurting themselves with razor blades and, and other sharp objects. I don't know. I mean, my, my opinion on this is I have no problem with them trying a bloodletting experiment in terms of the paranormal investigation if they were willing to do that if susan slaughter was a willing participant in doing it then you know she's a grown adult she made that decision now if you want to get into the discussion about whether or not it should have been televised and played to an audience hey look ghost hunters international comes on at nine o'clock at night uh, on a school night when you would expect that there's a larger portion of adults watching than there is kids and teenagers i understand that the younger crowd does like these shows and, and I, you do have on demand and they can, itunes they can get it off itunes they can get it online there's plenty of ways that they can see it i understand all that but i will also say this phenomena of cutting has probably been portrayed more on shows like law and order and some of these you know 90210 teenager cw type shows way more than it's been put on paranormal programming True. And it's you don't get the same type of you know uh, same type of uh, ire and controversy raised up by that. So to me, it's kind of you, you can't have it both ways. You know, if you want to have a fictionalized version of it to address it as a problem, then that's no different than show. You're still showing the same concept. It's not like GHI was saying everybody should go out there and cut themselves on a paranormal investigation. It was a but specific- how is it not saying that? Well, you know, saying like in other words. If it's saying that this is an effective way in this situation, right? Mm-hmm. The first person, uh, what was his name? Uh, Barry, uh, the, the, the lead investigator who was from Belize. No, the guy. From oh, Belize. Pedro. Right. When Pedro did that, 
he had either been told that that was an effective way, or he thought for some reason, based on legends, based on whatever, that this might be an effective way to stir up the spirit. The information that the person comes out with is, reenacting is good, which I would totally agree with. Mm-hmm. Reenacting a scenario that caused a paranormal experience to happen one time might do it again. Um, the issue then becomes many people, many people, some people will take that to then mean, well, if it worked in this situation, maybe because it was a violent crime, you know, in this spot that I'm, that I'm investigating, maybe cutting myself will work here. All right, well, I'm going to have to cut so you maybe, off there, Chris, because we're up against the news break, but we'll we'll get into the debate about this. More. That's how I win debates, is by waiting for the news break to, to let other people have their say. But we're, so. <laughs> we're going to take a break for the news. When we come back on the other side, we're going to get really, we're, we're really going to get into this for the rest of the program. So stay tuned for more here on Spooky South Coast. Presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Alright, welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin. Sorry, science advisor, <laughs> Matt Moniz. Oh, so many years of him being here all yeah, the time. It's okay. He was such a Stalwart. Yes, he was here every week for so many years, and now with his new job, he's you know he's not here at the start of the show. So sometimes I have to start the show, and now he's taking a break. So Moniz and I are going to be handling the technical stuff, and just takes a lot of getting used to. But I am Tim Weisberg. He is the science advisor, Matt Moniz. The uh, silent assassin, Matt Costa, is off for a while. So uh, we are talking. About the paranormal, which we do each and every Saturday night here, but in particular tonight, we're talking about the influence of what happened on this week's episode of Ghost Hunters International, and we have uh, on the phone, we have Christopher Balzano, who's the content director for Spooky South Coast, Uh, and basically, he's just, you know, he's the guy that keeps this thing rolling. He's the one who uh, makes sure that we actually continue to do the program and not all get lost and go off on side trips and... Otherwise, who knows where we'd be without our rock, Chris Balzano, joining us. But he's he's helping us break down this whole idea of this bloodletting that happened on this episode of Ghost Hunters International while in, while investigating a Mayan uh, some Mayan ruins. They recreated this bloodletting ritual, and it's caused a lot of controversy about whether or not paranormal investigators or even kids that are watching this are now going to think that it's okay to to do this same type of procedure in their own investigations and, and Chris I know that you ran up against the, the news break there when you were talking before I, I, I don't want to make it seem like I was trying to use the clock to my advantage <laughs> so I'll let yeah, you con- sure. continue making your point I really did just turn around I was like holy crap it's 1058 so uh, because the the conversation was rolling so well but but we, we were talking before that what, what were you saying before that well I just think that you know if you there are so many people out there that have um, a desperate need to experience paranormal. 
Um, and so if something proves right in one situation, they might make the leap and think that that is an excellent way to go about it. You know, and, and if there's any um, proof behind that, just think of all of the, especially, you know, low-grade, which I think we have to make that distinction on this radio show, uh, low-grade um, cult activity that involves, that believes, for example, bloodletting is an excellent way to, <clears throat> to raise the devil. Because they hear it in music, they hear it from friends, um, you know, they're, they're, they're heavily influenced by that, they read about it online, and so they do it. So that is just kind of like, this now brings that into, and, and I'm not saying whether or not they can raise demons by doing that, I'm saying the fact that they're told that, they believe that, it seems rational to them, and so they go ahead and they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this kind of bloodletting on TV to capture paranormal activity is, is, is kind of along the same veins of that. I'm not saying whether or not the bloodletting would have caused activity. I didn't see the show, so I don't know whether they got better evidence or more activity after that. But if they did, uh, especially, people are going to say, huh, okay, well, that's something I can do in my investigations. And that's where, that's where the bad stuff happens. That's where that is the kind of influence that I think uh, media can have. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, we were talking off air about things like Marilyn Manson and Columbine, and, you know, <clears throat> and, and I've changed dramatically the way I think about that in the past, what, 13 years now, coming up on the 13-year anniversary. Um, I've thought very differently about that, that the influence that some media can have on the teenage brain, because the teenage brain is not like the adult brain. It's not like the six-year-old brain. Um, it's a very unique combination of really confusing and really um, underdeveloped and yet overdeveloped activity that's going on there, which is highly influential and more influential than I think we, we can pause, we can, we can say. And, and I think Moniz has, you know, touched upon it at the very beginning. It can have a very positive effect. I mean, if you go back and think of, like, who was your greatest teacher? So many people, um, or most influential teachers, so many people mention middle school and high school teachers, or junior high, as normal people say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's not just because of the proximity of the experience, but that's also because, you know, very pos- things can have very positive influence on you at that time, too. The unfortunate thing is, because of the makeup of the brain that you're dealing with, um, in conjunction with all the other uh, physiological things that are going on, you know, the, the much more often the negative things are the things that are allowed to, to kind of permeate that, that developing brain and cause bad things to happen. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I understand the idea that there has to be some amount of disclaimers for some of these shows. You, you, know, you don't want people to think that a network approves of something or, you know, a lot of times on talk shows that you see on cable access, you'll, you'll see a disclaimer where it says that they don't express the views of the channel or any of the people that are in charge of the channel. I understand the need to have a disclaimer, but I don't understand why. And it, and it, it talks down to people to say that you can't have this portrayed in an episode because they're immediately going to run out there and go do it themselves. I think that you need to give people a little bit more credit. And I also think at the same time there are quite a few people who watch paranormal reality television programming because of its popularity level right now who may not have the same thought processes of a normal mature adult. Uh, but to say that you know they're wrong for doing this, I, I don't know if that's anybody else's place to say. 
You know what I mean? You're wrong if somebody it, it, you're wrong if somebody decides to go out and do it on an investigation and bleeds to death. Then it's okay to say that you're wrong. But if you go out there and do this and you get monumental evidence, and then four other people go out and do it by their own decision and get monumental evidence, then people wouldn't say that it's wrong. Personally, you know, my opinion. This is just me. But I think that some of the connections that people in the paranormal use to get into the field are question. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, let me let me try to explain this without being too, um, without sounding condescending or or picking on anybody in particular. But I think some people who get into the paranormal field and who are featured in television programs are into it because they have their own dealing with their own issues of loss, mortality, the loss of a loved one. And their own need to make that connection. So now that's a very personal, intense thing for them that they're now bringing to the public eye. And there's people who condemn them for that. You know, so it's like you're wrong for wanting to get into this to make a connection with a dead loved one. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I think I'm losing my own my <laughs> own argument really with think, myself here. I really think that um, you know one of the things I've always said is go and within reasonable boundaries, keep yourself safe. So nothing is really off limits as long as you're safe. Okay. And yeah. we can debate whether some of the things that investigators do spiritually are safe for them. Um, whether you're, as you know, we've had the great Ouija board debate uh, on, on this show, and, and, and people get to even have it. We've had debates over whether any kind of spirit communication uh, allows things. And we've had conversations about upsetting things that are spirits that might not be, and, and, and that kind of sensitivity. But the very ground-based thing is to keep yourself physically safe. I would never suggest to anyone, you know what, go to the Freetown State Forest all by yourself at night and see what happens. <laughs> because, you know, like, that would be a very common-sense thing to do, just to not put yourself in physical harm. And Yeah, you might lock your keys in your car. <laughs> and with an entire crowd full of people, imagine what I'd do if I was by myself in that forest. Um, I'd, I'd probably leave the car somewhere in, with my keys. Um, but, you know, I, I, so the, at the very ground level, keep yourself safe. Don't do things that are going to put yourself in physical harm. Don't go into an abandoned building that's been condemned because you might fall through the floor and kill yourself. And that's not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to actually say that, well, that's okay, but here, put yourself in physical harm by cutting yourself. Okay. Go any emotional harm by cutting yourself. I just can't jive with that, and I don't. And I can sure my personal opinion can be that it's wrong, right? But I think it can't be argued whether it's responsible television and whether it's responsible to do. Right. And you can say it's irresponsible and then do it, but you need to at least acknowledge that having it with no context other than this this um, potential positive outcome without addressing any of the negative outcomes of it at all, um, that's irresponsible. And in my opinion, wrong, but irresponsible. Okay, well, I, I, all right. I can agree with needing to have some sort of addressing. You know, maybe at the end of the episode, having, you know, the teams come and say, you know, we did this, it was a certain situation that called for it, we don't recommend it. You know, if you wanted to do it in that regard, fine. But don't don't say that, for, first of all, we're making it sound like Susan Slaughter cut open a vein. On, on national television here. She didn't take a razor blade and start at the elbow and go down to the wrist. She made a small incision in order to draw a little bit of blood for the ceremony. It, it's no different than when you're watching, you know, a, a boxing match 
and somebody punches somebody in the nose and the nose bleeds profusely. It was done in par- on purpose and now there's blood. And if you want to take it a little bit more to the deliberate nature of it, it's no different than in pro wrestling where for generations now, pro wrestlers have done what's called blading, where when they're in a match, they will keep a razor blade in their wristband and when the time calls for it, they when they're down on the mat and the referee's checking to see if they're all right or yelling at the other guy at the other side of the ring and nobody's focused on the wrestler that's down, he takes the razor blade out of his wristband, cuts himself across the forehead so that he'll bleed just slightly, and then when it mixes with the sweat, he's wearing what's called the crimson mask. So he's going to come up with a bloodied face that was done intentionally by him with a razor blade to get a certain effect. Now, nobody feels the need to go on wrestling every week and say, okay, kids, don't blade at home. Right, and look at the amount of people that have ended up in the hospital for imitating wrestling. That, you know, we're talking Whether about a different thing. Whether they it's real or not real. But we're, I mean, we're ta- you're talking about end- ending up in the hospital by performing some of the maneuvers that they're talking about. I'm, I'm talking about blading in speci- uh, specifically. I, I think that there have been people who have been hospitalized for performing wrestling maneuvers, but there's also billions of people who have watched pro wrestling matches that haven't gone out there and, and done what they've seen on television. All right. I think, now, having dealt with, um, with teenagers in Lawrence, uh, and one of the really great programs uh, that's in Lawrence, Mass, is this boxing uh, training facility that's there. Mm-hmm. And they take kids that are in trouble, they bring them in there, you know what I'm saying? And it's this whole kind of, not only training for, for boxing, but training for life. Um, and it's a very positive program that a few of my students went through. There is an expectation, and I would say that the younger students who are involved in this um, don't fully realize it, but there's an expectation that the premise that you are putting yourself into is that there is a chance, and probably a good chance, that you are going to hurt yourself or that you might even get cut. You know what I'm saying? You might even bleed. You might mm-hmm. even break something. There's an expectation of that because the context of the event itself is set up in such a way that your intention is to physically harm someone and then to physically harm you. So there's an expectation going in. And, P.S., most of those situations have to be signed off by a parent. So whether that's responsible or not, we did debate that. When you are watching something on television which does not have the context of hurting oneself, and you see someone intentionally harming themselves to get a positive result for something, that is, I think, dramatically different than someone who enters into an agreement or enters into a situation knowing that the situation itself is inherently violent. Okay, well, what about when you watch television programs and people do, you know, the Blood Brothers? There's a deliberate act of cutting that is supposed to have a positive effect at the end. And that's well, been seen on television. Right. And, 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 and now we do spit they, these days because of you but know, the you, post-AIDS era. Uh, how many times was that done on old westerns and other things and people... Well, well, see, now you're talking about a different era when we weren't all just a bunch of pussies that couldn't watch what we wanted to watch on TV. Uh, see, there's the difference now. Yeah, I dropped the P word on WPSN. <laughs> but that's, uh, and also, that kind of goes to my point, too. Ten like years ago... Or saying here, hockey. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, I could probably have said that word on the radio without any kind of fear of repercussion now. I can't, and but, because we live in basically what's been a wussified society. All right, now you have to 
be careful of everything that you say. You have to be pol- politically in, uh, politically correct at all times. I don't want to def- de- defend Rush Limbaugh for what happened to him recently because he's an idiot. And he opens up his mouth and he just says things. And he says things on purpose to try to generate controversy. But the things that he says on the radio now that get people so up in arms, when he was saying them on the radio 15, 20 years ago, nobody cared. They just said, oh, yeah, he's a jerk. I don't listen to him. But now it generates national headlines because we do live in what has become the most – sensitive society that I can ever remember hearing about. I mean, you know, we always talk about English sensibilities, not wanting to offend English sensibilities. We talk about the rude French. We talk about all these other cultures, but it's all just a reflection of how we're just a bunch of wusses now. Well, I think in terms of the youth, and and even, you know, other people, you're also so plugged into what is not your family structure that the media has a greater influence. And by the media, that extends to to everything in, in terms of, you know, uh, what you might be getting on the computer or on your phone or, you know, the the time that I am with students during the day is the only time that they're not unplugged. And we have to create rules so that they don't plug it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to think that we can, we can fully protect them without looking at what they're doing and the relationship they're what they're doing to what they're seeing other people do, I mean, that's common sense. If someone does something and it's cool, you're going to do it. You know, saying the, the majority of people, the mass of most people in this world, do lives of quiet desperation. They want to be followers, and if they see positive things happening for people that go with the crowd, if they see positive things happening for people who wear headbands, tell me when that went back in the style. I have the slightest idea. My kids all love wearing headbands and their socks pulled up to their knees. Right? They see one person do it, socially acceptable. They do it because they want to be accepted. An extension of that is seeing something desirable on TV, on the Internet, right, and repeating that to get the desired effect. Part of the reason why we need to protect more is because we're not doing a really good job, and this has nothing to do with the paranormal, we're not doing a good job of, of giving them the right foundation in the first place. Mm-hmm. So people who say that it's stupidity, that students, that, that teenagers do this and, and young adults do this, people who say that it's, you know... Um, well, you know, who cares if that happens? You know, if there's some people in the chat room who are saying, you know, who really cares whether some people that would do that kind of thing do it anyway? Um, you know, I mean, if you're not giving, it, it's like saying to a to a student, all right, go do trigonometry, but I haven't taught you how to add yet. Yeah. You know, you're not giving them a strong enough foundation for one reason or another, and therefore they're able to be influenced heavily. Well, and the, well the there's the negative. difference. Hold on. There's the difference in what we're talking about, too, because you're talking about having that strong foundation, and I'm talking about an era where we could get away with this well, stuff. Well, where did that foundation come from? It came from our parents. Yeah, because People we had two parenting parents in the home. Today. That's another and, part of the problem. And they were able to – and I, I, maybe I'm a little bit spoiled because I grew up in a two-family uh, – two I grew up in a two-parent family, and uh, I lived in a two-family a couple times. But, we, <laughs> but I grew up in a two-parent family where my parents were always there. Uh, we were almost sheltered probably to a fault to some degree you know we, we we didn't go outside a lot on our own when we were younger and you know we were we were taken care of and and maybe to the point where we were a little bit coddled and now you know i live in a my, my family now my son's being raised in a, in a two-parent family where you know he's the main focus of our lives and we're there and we're there every step of the way and trying to raise him the way we were raised so Maybe I take that for granted that it doesn't happen for every kid that way. But also, it's almost like we kind of use that as an excuse. You know, well, I have to work, and I'm the only parent in this family, so you know, I I can't be there to 
to watch Ghost Hunters with my kid to see what he's watching. It, it, you know, I, hey, I watch things that I wasn't supposed to watch by going up in my room and watching it. And if my parents came into the room, I flipped the channel. So even the best degree of parenting isn't going to deter them from doing that. Well, most of the parenting today is uh, they leave it up to what I call the socialized daycare system. Sorry, Chris. The, the school system. And they left those um, parenting skills to the teachers. And uh, the teachers, and I give you great kudos for this, Chris, it takes a lot to teach kids, especially today. And these teachers, no matter what what they do, they're, they're, uh, they get a double-edged knife. They do this, they're cut one way. They try and do something else, they're mm-hmm. cut the other way. And, it, and the responsibility actually does belong in the parents. But am I wrong, Chris? Do you, uh, do you have to walk that fine line? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, the unfortunate thing with me is that I've crossed that too much. <laughs> Sometimes I have to double back and be like, hey, listen, this is what, this is what the situation that went on. And, you know, and, it's, and it's, it was a, a misunderstanding based on them not understanding A, B, and C, you know? But, I mean, I, 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 listen, I see it even in kids. My son had a, a sleepover. He had five of his best friends over, right? You can tell the kids that are spending a significant amount of time you know, not in the family, not in the, in the you know, the, the, the situation being weird. I know, for example, there's one kid who, you know, both parents are there, both parents work, which I totally am fine with, by the way. Um, but he eat out five out of the seven days a week, at least, if not every night of the week. Mm-hmm. They, um, when I go out with them and I'm, we're with our kids, I very rarely see them interact with their kids. As a matter of fact, one, the father, I can't even think of a time I've ever seen him talk to his son. And I've been out with them dozens of times, right? But the weird thing is that you sit these kids down at a table, you put a meal in front of them like we did in the sleepover, and they don't know what to do with a full meal in front of them. They definitely don't say please and thank you, right? So I, mean, I don't know this is just kind of like off the topic, but it really is this kind of thing where when we allow other things to influence our kids, and we allow other people to influence us as, as a whole, we need to make sure they have enough of a foundation to be able to process it. Otherwise, they're comparing it to things that are not in their experience, and so they're just left with the end result, you know, or the end result that they see, and then that's what they have to evaluate. So in other words, if they're seeing something happening, if they're seeing this show that they like, that they follow, and they can't make the connection, they're not as sophisticated, and a lot of adults aren't sophisticated enough to realize that paranormal shows are television shows that are highly edited and set up and highly funded, and so they have these things, and P.S., there's also, you know, dozens of people there if something goes wrong or, you know, something physical in the environment, non-paranormal goes wrong. They're seeing the end result, and they like this show. They like the people. They consider the people who they are on the show. They don't make the distinction that they're people outside of that show, and they see something, them doing something which might cause harm to them, they're going to do it, or they're going to be highly influenced to do it. And that goes for something as simple as going into an abandoned building. Well, they went into an abandoned building, yeah, but it wasn't abandoned. They got permission from the owners, and there was like 30 people there shooting it. Something happened, someone was going to be there, as opposed to you and your friend going into the same kind of place by yourself, thinking that you can handle it because the people on TV did well, listen, the phone lines are open, 508 996 
one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. I know the chat room has has been buzzing all night with this topic, and feel free anybody in the chat room to call in. Uh, you can also email us spooky crew at spookysouthcoast dot com, and uh, I'll check in the emails in just a few minutes too to see if anything's popped up. But you know, part of the the controversy about this bloodletting on Ghost Hunters International is that there was another show that did this. <laughs> there was a show called Extreme Paranormal that lasted for I believe what was it one episode. A and, couple episodes, yeah. And uh, and, and they did a, a similar. And Chris, we know some of these guys that were involved with Extreme Paranormal, and and they were kind of pushed to some degree to to do things that were over the top, and they were chastised for doing the bloodletting ritual. So I would think that with the negative backlash that they suffered, that people that are aware within both the paranormal and the tele- reality television communities, they would have probably kind of nipped this in the bud before it even happened. Right, except for the fact that that was a show that was striving to find an audience. This was one that's striving to maintain their audience. So mm-hmm. I guess the difference is the platform that they have. Um, and, you know, also this was a moment where they were doing something as opposed to the premise of the show being, let's do the most outrageous yeah, thing. Yeah, let's go around cutting ourselves all the time. Right, right. You know, so I, I mean, I, and, you know, having known the guys that... that Started that I mean, there are people who you know I respect in the paranormal, um, or I should, I, I should say I respect them you know as people as just individuals. But um, yeah, I mean it's a completely different in terms of whether it was allowed. And you know, you know we're, we're talking about this, and that's kind of what people want, right? If you have a show, you want to be talked about one way or the other, like you were saying with Rush Limbaugh. Um, so to think that. There wasn't a debate on whether they should show this, and the end result was, well, people will talk about it, is, you know, kind of naive on our part. Yeah. I mean, it was meant to be discussed and debated, you know? And I don't know, I don't know, you know, the people involved in Ghost Hunters International, um, personally, but, you know, it, it sounds to me, you know, like it could be a possibility that, you know, go out there and tweet against it, because that'll stir the pot as well. You know, we have to kind of take the take the blinders off when we're dealing with people that um, their primary responsibility is to get ratings and things like that. And again, you know, I, I just... Once again, not knowing Chris Williams enough to say that she's, you know, was being told to do what she did. Oh, I firmly believe that she, I mean, knowing her the little bit that I do, I would say that, you know, I firmly believe that she was not being told to do what she did and that this reaction that she's had to it has been her own honest opinion. Um, mainly because I, I can't imagine that... Uh, you know there wouldn't there isn't somebody in her ear right now who is well not in her ear right now because she's out for St. Patrick's because we try to get her to come on the show tonight but uh, you, you know there's there's probably people that are in her ear being like hey next time don't do that next time you want to comment about somebody clear it through us first and she's the kind of person that's going to be like oh yeah and well know, I know Chris fight. actually very well yeah, and, and she, I can say that yeah she yeah. definitely speaks her mind and nobody's going to be able to tell her to do something like that she was do it all on her own but the, the the point here is at least over overall here is that we're putting you know the weight now now not only do these people have to be the standard bearers for the paranormal community which they didn't really sign up to be uh but they're looked upon as such by people in the community if they do something good everybody's going to copy what they do and that's going to become the standard of the paranormal community and if they do something bad everybody's going to rail against them and it's going to be oh look at what they're doing to the paranormal field so they not only now are they stuck with that 
responsibility. But now we're adding on the other responsibility of, oh, and by the way, you're also responsible for the actions of every single idiot that watches your program. Again, I bring up the television show Jackass. But it's 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 a different animal. I understand, but the liability is still the same. Yeah, zero. Right. But you still get the blame, whether whether you were actually liable or not. But but and again, Jackass being completely different because the st- the stuff that they put themselves into was to intentionally be harmed. You know that was kind of the whole Some point of the show. Some people can make the same argument about paranormal investigations from the beginning, from the minute that you step into a supposedly haunted location. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with cutting yourself open as part no, of a ceremony. But there have been people that have been physically assaulted. I know that I personally had it happen. I watch it happen to you. You know, okay, so you can't say it doesn't happen in the paranormal uh, arena. Mm-hmm. We know it does. Okay, but. I don't know. To, to me, it's just like you're saying, okay, you know, we want you to go and we want you to do this, but we also want to have a. Uh, oh, good! All my all my text messages from earlier today, Chris, just started coming through. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> text from the dead. Yeah, there we go. But uh, I just think there's something that's I don't want to say two faced, but kind of almost. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not disingenuous, but kind of, you know, there's a dichotomy that exists with somebody coming out and blasting the Ghost Hunters International crew for for allowing this to happen. And then they go out and do whatever they do on their investigations, you know, especially like like Jason Hawes coming out and being against it. You know, I'm sure there's been plenty of other stuff that they've done on Ghost Hunters proper where people have railed against that now he's got some kind of influence with pilgrim films i would assume and he's got some degree of of leverage in how things are presented so why not say hey i understand he's probably not involved in the day-to-day operations of what happens on the other show but why not say hey just if we have another one of these moments let's put up a disclaimer let's do something where we say you know this this is a particularly intense episode you know that type of thing at least then it gets you it gets some of the flack off you and doesn't well, I know, open you up I know for a tabs. lot of the shows, don't they have, like, the person sitting in front of a camera saying stuff that's going on with the investigation? So I can assume that Ghost Hunters International has the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that's your perfect opportunity to be, like, right there, say something about it. So was something not said about the fact that they were cutting themselves open? Or cutting, well, they, they, did it within, open? they did it within the, the, the context of having it be the debate chronicling the debate amongst the team as it was happening there was no kind of off camera you know off to the side uh directly to the camera moment where somebody's like hey you know we don't really advocate this but it's going to work for us in this particular night well i mean that's an excellent opportunity right there to be responsible and to talk about you know the fact that you know this 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 cutting they may not have thought of that because they probably felt that they didn't need to be responsible they probably (laughs) felt that they didn't have to tell people that because it is stupid to go into a paranormal investigation and cut yourself randomly in this particular instance it was tied into something i'm not going to go into the lizzie borden bed and breakfast and chop moniz's head off with an axe because it got a pretty good reaction the first time that it happened Right, but who's to say that someone who's not as well-developed and as well-grounded as you doesn't think that going into a place and, hey, you know what? Let me sacrifice an animal. Let me, because animal sacrifices happened here. Let me cut myself because cutting happened here. There was something funny that happened here. And, P.S., 
I saw it on TV and it worked. Yeah. Well, I think what happens is in the overall – the overarching theme here is that somebody sees something on TV and has a messed up reason in their head for doing it and – blames the television show to take the deflection off themselves and then all of a sudden TV is responsible for all the ills of society. And just like Ozzy's responsible for all the teen suicides for his song Suicide Solution or you know or or, or Judas Priest, Priest for playing you know putting yeah. backwards messages in their song because when you play the song in reverse and it sounds like it's saying hey mom my chair is broken well obviously that means you should go out and kill yourself. Yeah. Well, so. I think that you have to at least hope that both Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest could take a step back and see the influence of their music. So not whether or not what their intended thing was. So in other words, you're assuming that a an Eminem is a great example for me. Okay, um, what about Ford? Well, you know, why, why doesn't Ford, why didn't Henry Ford go back and look and reconsider his uh, idea because all of the drunk drivers that would eventually happen? Well, because his intention was not to drink a lot and then drive. His intention was to Neither. create something, and then someone took it, steps down the road, an outside influence, an outside thing, and applied it to it. The same thing you know? here. And I don't think that. I don't think that. Um, you know, I, I'm sure if, if Henry Ford could go back and say, "Huh, seatbelts, hmm, rearview mirrors, huh, lights," those are all things I should have put on my cars at the very beginning. I'm sure he would do that. I'm sure. You know what I'm saying? So it, 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 it's not as fringe as someone trying to interpret what they're seeing. Um, make the distinction between reality and, and, and what they perceive as reality. Uh, and um, to think that everyone is equipped to do that um, is, is not right, because the people who are the demographics of Ozzy Osbourne, now granted, we're all older, we're probably still listening, I, I can guarantee you I worked out to... Uh, to uh, to Judas Priest uh, <laughs> today, but that doesn't mean that when I was 16, I wasn't listening to those lyrics, and they were sparking something in me. Something, you know, I'm not listening to to uh, to Eminem and saying, you know, huh, yeah, I really don't like gay people. They are really responsible for this that. You know, it it it, it makes the artist thinks that their their audience is more sophisticated than it is, and especially seeing some of these dangerous things are geared towards demographics that are physically and emotionally and hormonally incapable of processing them the right way, it does create a dangerous situation. Well, going back to something that you just said, one network that really does not think that its audience is sophisticated to any degree is MTV. And I was seeing in the chat room on SpookySouthCoast.com some of the comments going by, and I saw a mention of 16 and Pregnant, Jersey Shore. You know, here are shows that basically portray a lifestyle of just being a, a, just an overwhelming moron and putting yourself in stupid situations every day for the entertainment of America. And these are having a direct influence on kids. I'd, I'd be more worried about my son watching those shows than I would be worried about him watching Ghost Hunters International where one time and one investigation, in the context of something within that investigation, somebody decided to let a little blood out. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that you know Ghost Hunters International is the worst offender of this. Although, you know, once again, you're talking about uh, appealing to or showing something to people who might be, you know, uber-sensitive at that time in their life to attempting something like that as well. 
and to not, you know, to not be able to um, process the rationale for why they are doing it, to only look at the action. Um, and that's, that's the dangerous part because, you know, when there is no cause and effect shown to this, it's just the action and then maybe a positive result. They can't, they can't process the, the situations around that. They can't say, okay, all right, let me sit down. I mean, I know because it's the hardest skill to teach them is, to cause, is cause and effect. You know, why did something happen and what's the possible end result? You know, and when they can do that, when they can see that rationally, which is usually after the fact, say, like, in their own actions, in their own behaviors, it was like, I could see that, and yet I decided not to. Well, you knew that the effect was going to be that you were going to be suspended. Yeah. Now, well, at the time, you know, that's, I knew that I might be suspended if I did this, if they're able to reach that point. But, you know, rationally, my decision was, you know, irrational and just to do it because I wanted to do it. Is, is kind of the, the dirty little secret of what we're talking about here the fact that the paranormal community is, whether they want to admit it or not, so influenced by what they see on these TV shows that really, in the context of any other TV program, it might not have been such a big deal, but it has to be a big deal within the paranormal field because so many of these groups that are out there now just mimic what they see on Ghost Hunters, Ghost Hunters International, Ghost Adventures. I think that's totally an element to it, um, you know, because these people, like you said, they are hailed as the the inventive and creative force behind what people should be doing in the paranormal field. And so to see them doing something, things are mimicked like that. You know, and so many times we get asked, and, and we've had that debate before, so I'm not sure I want to, how they don't open up that can of worms, but, mm-hmm. you know, well, why does the investigator do that? Or what's the reason behind that? And they can't say, they just mimic the action. Well, if they see it on TV, it has to be true. Or it has to be viable, at least. You know, it has to be a good way to do something. Especially because, once again, you are shown you are shown a positive outcome to something that you are shown one potential outcome to something that has multiple um, potential outcomes. You're shown one that one is generally positive, and so therefore all the other ones are not able to be rationalized to a, to a degree. And one of the uh, one one of the real I don't know problems with it is the fact that everybody is trying to get themselves everybody so many people in the paranormal community will say is trying to get themselves positioned to be the next ghost hunters the next ghost hunters international the next ghost adventures so they're going to see what happened on this show and say okay i'm going to one up that now and so we're going to see a lot of people making pilots where you know they're crucifying members of their groups to try and get a rise out of somebody, uh, and, and that's kind of one other thing that I want to talk about before we run out of time tonight, Chris. While we have you, is this reality website, this realitywanted.com website? It's been around for a few years now, and what it is, it's supposedly a casting call to try to get people involved with these reality shows and it works i mean i can understand producers wanting to use it when somebody is looking to cast a, a show where you know you're looking for people who are into uh motorcycles and you're gonna do a show about motorcycle fanatics so let's put it out there who's a motorcycle fanatic put yourself on there let's see what the public reaction is to some of these people but to some degree it's also just nothing but a stupid popularity contest no different than vote for your favorite potential ghost hunter and we're going to pick them during the live episode of ghost hunters and they're going to get the chance to be on the show from now on remember that reality thing that i put myself into just as a test mm-hmm. yeah 
uh, I got all the way up into like the top rounds, and it and it did. Um, it was actually crazy in a certain sense because I just did it as an experiment, and people were you know were picking me and other people just because of the way we looked or what what we. Um, had done well, in, that's the in, thing. in other television or radio, not not what we had done in work. Well, I would even be I would even be not so sure about how much they knew about your background and, and your involvement because on a lot of these websites, all you see is a photo, and it's up to you to actually click into the photo and find out more about the person. A lot of times, people are just like, "Oh yeah, that guy looks all right. Oh yeah, I'd like to see that guy on TV." They look at you and they're like, "Oh, this guy looks like he's pretty nuts. Let's put him up there." Yeah. you know, and it's and that's what it is and. I think with with this website, I mean, first of all, let's not fool ourselves, okay? Whoever's going to be the new investigator on Ghost Adventures, it's going to pass through the people that are already involved. The the production company, Pilgrim Films, and of course, Jason Hawes, who's the person who runs the team. Ghost Hunters. Yeah. You say Ghost Adventures. Ghost Hunters, right. Sorry, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's late and I had a lot of corned beef <laughs> earlier, so uh, as you'll find out on the ride home. So the the point here is that you know, there's there's a hierarchy involved of how the show works. And no matter who gets the most popular votes on a website, it still has to work for the producers, work for the talent, work for the people involved with making the show. So it, it just seems weird to me that it would become such a part of people's daily lives. i got to be the top person on this website. Now, congratulations to our friend Tim Dennis. He is the person that, that made it to the top as far as I, I know. He was in the lead the last time that I checked before it closed out. But does that guarantee him a shot at Ghost Hunters of being on the show? Probably not. But it means that maybe some producers are looking at him and saying, now look, there's there's this guy's popular. This guy's got an audience. And take a look at him. He's an interesting guy. He's got an interesting background. Maybe we can find something that's a fit for him. Yeah, so there is that possibility. But people are going on this website and supposedly backstabbing each other and pulling dirty tricks to get themselves into the lead and to do this and to I mean and that's that's what this has become, Chris. It's become just a high school popularity contest. Well, I mean it's also mimicking what people have been taught for the past, you know, thirteen at least years about how to conduct yourself on a reality show, which is immediately form alliances and backstep, um, as opposed to play things out. Well, I'm not saying that's a bad way to go through life. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it is, it's not any, it's, it's not surprising that that same kind of technique or that same kind of methodology would then extend itself to trying to get on the reality show to begin with. Well, uh, I mean, I would never say to anybody, hey, you're wasting your time if it's something that they want to try out and, and do, but it, it's just you have to understand kind of how the business works, and you know, there's there's not a lot of easy way ins, and this seems like an easy way in. Well, I got myself on this website, and I was a popular choice. So, people need to be more aware of that. If you And everybody knows, if you really want to get yourself involved in the paranormal television show, cut yourself on an investigation, right? That's, that's how you're going to do it. Well, not, no, next time you're going to have to go even further. So, you know, I said it jokingly, but what's the, who's the next thing where someone's going to, like, well, you know what? Kill me. Bring oh, me back yep. to life. But kill me in this place and let me see if I can, as a spirit, for five minutes, communicate with what might be here. And however silly that sounds, like, you know. Flatliners. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I use as the example. Flatliners. Who's, you know, and are we going to be having a conversation five years from now? We're like, well. 
you know what, there was a doctor there, and how, what are we supposed to do if people think that, you know, that, you know, they can't do it without a doctor there? Do we really have to, you know, for the, for the 1% of the population that doesn't know you're not supposed to kill yourself, are we supposed to, you know, make some kind of, you know, accommodation for them? You know, the accommodations that we're giving people are becoming more extreme because the things people are doing to entertain them and to influence them are becoming more extreme. So, however much it may seem as if we're becoming a worse society, we're becoming a worse society because the opposite end of that is also happening. So, if you're talking about a show like, you know, uh, 16 and Pregnant, was it before or after 16 and Pregnant that the girls in Gloucester made their pregnancy pact? Because I'd be interested to know whether that was potentially influenced by something like that. So it's, it's not like these things aren't getting more extreme, which is why we have to make sure that our guard is up even more. Yeah, and the point of a show like Jersey Shore was to show you what a bunch of boobs these people really are and how you really shouldn't, you know, live your life like that. And instead it's led to a bunch of people being like, that's how I'm going to live my life. Contributing to the dumbing down of America. The yeah. level of sophistication is not there. You know, if people are people are thinking that you know, as a group, people are not very intelligent. You know, individuals are smart; a group is not. No, well, unless it's the spooky South Coast listeners. <laughs> yes, we already know our audience is way too smart to to fall for any of this stuff. But I, I mean, I, I know that you know we've we've kicked this around. We've talked about it. we we do have about six minutes left, seven minutes left in the show. So it's not too late for people to get involved if they want to call in 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420 to talk with us and Chris Balzano about this topic. But to, I just think that overall the problem is the mimicking of the paranormal shows. I don't think it's just a matter of, you know, I think if this was just another show, if this was, say, you know, Deadliest Catch, and one of the crew members of Deadliest Catch said, you know, we we got to try and catch these sharks. So I'm going to cut my finger and put a little blood in the water to kind of, you know, chum the waters a bit and get some of these, these sharks stirred up. I don't think anybody would be railing against it. But because it's a ghost show and because people who watch ghost shows often imitate ghost shows, it becomes more of an issue. Okay, except for the fact that I, I, I would agree with the the extreme example of that. The fact of the matter is, is that the majority of people in this world will never get the opportunity to cut themselves to catch better fish True. Um, on something like that. Although, you know, uh, I don't know how many people went out and said Hail Marys after watching uh, after watching Godfather 2 and thought that they caught more fish that way. Um, but if, if I were, for example, if I were a professional baseball player and I said I, you know, I cut, give myself a cut because it gets my adrenaline, adrenaline pumping for the game. Maybe baseball is not a good example. Maybe a football player. Mm-hmm. I'm going to smash my head until I bleed on the locker before a game because it gets me pumped up. I guarantee you that's going to be a minute because that's an all-star player. Um, you know, so, so, there, so there's definitely a thing you were talking about boxing before. You know, how many people... Uh, you know, I used to have this kid, I'll leave him nameless, but he used to make himself bleed before every baseball game, every football game. He used to go in without gloves and hit a punching bag until his hands broke open. Then he'd tape them, put his gloves on, and go out to the game. Um, because he associated those things, and he thought that, he thought that, that his own bloodletting fueled who he was. And he was a great player, too. He's someone who I tried to mimic, except for the bloody, blood part, because blood freaks me out. Um, mm-hmm. but, so I think that it's not, just a re, it's not just a ghost thing, but it's the accessibility of it. I think if someone sees that happening to someone 
and in an activity that they can do, that they can readily do, then they're more likely and you know to mimic it than something that you know is completely abstract and like catching you know crabs, <laughs> which also. <laughs> <laughs> When you put it that way, it's more about Jersey Shore than anything. But, uh, the, well, the, I mean, but for some people, you know, maybe that does work, you know, so may, maybe that is how they do. And we're also looking at it as saying, you know, we're, we're looking at bloodletting from a Western point of view, too, that, that it is a bad thing. I mean, maybe it wasn't. You know, maybe there's a reason why the mines did it. Whole, was that explored at all in the in the show? Whole other topic. I don't know. I didn't watch enough. Once of it. again, another opportunity for a responsibility that was was left open. You know. Well, the only so, other real reason for bloodletting is you know to cure ills. Yes. Yeah. Theodoric of York, medieval barber. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> There's only one. Well, one way. To what is that? that is, was that an effective way? I know people did it, and people had you know big beliefs in it, and leeches and things like that. Well, did those things actually work for them. Certain things it can, and believe it or not, leeches are still used today in medical um, arenas. Uh, or like, when you're lonely. Well, it, that's what's getting you off, fine. But <laughs> <laughs> no, they they use medical leeches, and they actually use medical maggots and, and stuff uh, in today's medicine. And bloodletting, the, yeah, we call it transfusion today, but, you know, but there's also points where they do drain out some of the blood to allow uh, more platelets to be regrown because there's something wrong with the platelets that are in in the person's body. Changing the oil. Basically, that's what you're doing, yeah. Well, we're about out of time for this week's show, but uh, if you have any comments or thoughts on this, of course, you can post it up on our Facebook page. Uh, you can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, definitely, you know, if you have some thoughts on the matter, you can send it to us. And, and when we get the, the news segment going on the web- website, we'll, uh, we'll start posting some of the responses up there because this is something that's really affecting the paranormal community and really getting some debate going. And I'd be interested to see, you know, if the next time something slightly controversial like this does happen, Chris, if they do talk about those those disclaimers that we were mentioning earlier in the show. Or at least giving it a stronger context, brother. Exactly. All right, well, we are just about out of time now. Next week, we're going to be talking about voodoo, right? That's that's on the docket. That's what I'm hoping. We've got an invitation for, for someone who practices voodoo to come on. Uh, they said they will. We had to change things around because of the start time of the Bruins game. Yes. So I have to confirm that they're still going to be able to come on, and then we'll roll. I have to uh, actually confirm that we can come on before the Bruins game. I'm sure we can. Our, our program director, Pete Braley, has uh, been out of town for a few days. Uh, he's he's on his way back, so we'll check with him. Uh, but uh, we'll find out for sure. And if it is the case, the Bruins are on at, I believe, 9, nine o'clock. So we'll probably be on from like 6 to 8.30, 7 to 8.30, something along those lines. So just stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll have all the information for you about when it's going to be because uh, it sounds like a very exciting show. It's a topic we haven't really covered a lot, and I'm looking forward to it. And then, of course, we've got uh, the whole spring ahead of us when the baseball season starts, and that's going to start shifting us around a bit. You know, a lot of – there's usually at least two or three 7 o'clock games uh, on Saturday nights throughout each month of the baseball season. So you'll have to just keep tuning in. If the Red Sox are on and they're on at 7 o'clock, chances are we'll be on right up against them. Although some nights we come in here and it's 11.45 and they're in the 14th inning. And that's when, like, you know what? I think we're just going to call it a night. But, uh, hey, well, you, you know what? I, I got my, uh, at the game today, I got my magnet, which is now hanging up uh, on my desk. So I'll be able to... Uh... <laughs> there you go. 
I'll be able to clear it as much as possible. So. There you go. All right. Well, we are we will say goodbye for this week, uh, but we will be back next week uh, talking about voodoo or some other topic related to the paranormal. And remember, you can always get all the archives of the show on YouTube. You can see all the video archives, and of course, all the podcasts are always available from wherever you may find your podcasts. And uh, you can also get the Stitcher app, where you can download the show directly on your phone. You can listen to it without having to sync or download or any of that kind of stuff. You can just get it right there streaming on your phone. And if you sign up for Stitcher, download it, and enter Spooky SC as to where you've heard about the show, then you will be entered for a chance to win $100. So if you haven't gotten the Stitcher app yet, Chris, you can try and get that 100 bucks. Yeah, I'll go for that. All right. So that about does it for this week. For Until next week, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Chris Balzano, and for everybody involved in producing this program, we want you all to stay spooktacular.